You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. That's too weird. Hey, if it helps someone, it's worth it. Yeah. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Beth. It's Kate. And we are here with Chuck and Lynn Hamilton. Thanks for being here today. Hey, it's our pleasure. Getting up early. (laughs) (laughs) Or night owl. We made her get up early, but glad to have you guys here today. Chuck and Lynn have both been on our podcast. You can check theirs out if you missed it. Chuck's was October 25th, 2020, and Lynn was July 5th, 2021. So they share their testimony and their life story. But we are here with them today because we are talking about blended families. Hmm. We feel like this is a really important topic to discuss because there's lots of blended families happening and it's not always an easy thing. Chuck and Lynn have been married for 52 years. They have five children, four in-laws, 17 grandkids, and two great-grandkids. They have been counseling, marriage counseling, and couple counseling and family counseling for 38 years. They've also been a part of the Sozo ministry, which is our inner healing ministry here at the Upper Room Fellowship for 11 years. Chuck was on the eldership team and the senior pastor. He transitioned in 2018, and he is now the president of Harvest Prep International. They are still here at the Upper Room, and they still do counseling for us at the Upper Room. Lynn leads our Sozo ministry here. They were gracious enough to come on today to talk about their experience, not only having a blended family and having their kids have blended families, but also their 38 years of experience doing counseling with families and couples. So we're glad you're here today. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Thanks, Beth. (laughs) Tell us what your experience was with blended families. Like I said earlier, that there's usually three ways to get a blended family, and that's through divorce with families come together. It's through adoption, and you're blending families that way. Ours just happened to be a unique circumstances. And so in um, 1977, Chuck's brother was shot and killed and his wife abducted. They had two children, Melinda and Chris, which was our niece and nephew. When that all happened, of course, they called Chuck and Chuck went up and brought the children to our house. We had Adam, so we had one, and I was expecting our Joshua in two weeks. So we went from one child to four children in two weeks. There was chaos, and there was also just the aspect of, as Chuck was driving the children down to our home, God had already spoken to Chuck and said, they're yours. But God hadn't spoken to me yet. There was a difficulty in transition. Of course, I mean, these children had just lost both of their parents. I mean, your heart is for them and to minister to them and to love them. But it wasn't until maybe a year later that God just really spoke to my heart and said, they're here. 
And that was Billy Eichhorn, bless her heart. I mean, she called me every day, prayed with me, gave me scripture every day for a year, walked that through with me, and then took me to the Bear Foundation to hear him speak, which that goes back a long ways if you know him at all. His book was called Love, 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 and that's all he spoke on was love. That that? night, Bill Bear. Bill Bear, okay. And that night I came home realizing I needed to change because my prayer was, Lord, I know you're going to find Linda. They're going to go back with their mom and we're just temporary. So that was my heart at the time. But then as I knelt and prayed that night, God just showed me that just like Daniel in the lion's den, he didn't remove him from that, but he was there with him. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Mm -hmm. he didn't remove them from the fiery furnace but he walked through it with them. I've never heard what they say in audible voice, but it was the closest thing I've ever heard. And God spoke to my heart and said, I'm not going to remove this situation from you, but I promise to always be there and walk through it Mm. with you. And for me, that was life-changing. It was like I knew without a shadow of a doubt, they were ours. I embraced that and I got up off my knees and said, let's go, Lord. And it's been, you know, all those years since. The key was hearing God's voice, knowing, for me anyway, hearing God's voice, knowing that's what he had for us. And I think that's a key with anyone, no matter if you're blending families, is hearing God's voice, knowing it's right, knowing this is where the path he's got you on. So he started you on that path. And fast forward 20 some years later, when your children are getting married and having kids, Chuck, tell us an additional layer of blended families that you guys have had. Our experience probably is our best example. And that's what we went through when all that happened. Coming home, like Lynn said, I I just felt the Lord say, these are your children now. I didn't have the wisdom to give Lynn ownership of that. And I didn't do that arrogantly. You know, I knew the Lord had spoken. So we, you know, with the kids, we had four children from five years and under with a newborn two weeks later. And the most grievous thing I did against Lynn was not really giving her ownership, not bringing her into that. And, And again, we talked about it. It was a given from my perspective, what do, you, what do you do? And so that really became a, an emotional wound to her that we had to work through. Thank goodness we had those who loved us, you know, Russ and Shirley poured into our marriage. The, the other side of that, and I believe this is the real issue with blended families, and that's the issue of the mental, social, relational health of children and acclimating them into a situation. With, our, with Chris and Melinda, when they came, we just said, look, we're your mom and dad now. You can call us Chuck and Lynn if you want to. You can call us mom and dad. But we made an atmosphere where they were all brothers and sisters. They weren't cousins. They were brothers and sisters. We were mom and dad. That in and of itself, there were psychological trauma that happened in that to all of them. Melinda saw and heard things when her father was murdered. Mm. Christopher's a little smaller, but... How uh, old were they when that happened? She was five. He was three and a half. Melinda saw and heard things, and Christopher was traumatized by the change of family, and our Adam was two and a half. After Lisa's accident, when she was killed in her accident, Lynn was pregnant with Adam, but we didn't know it. And so he was born. And so when he was born, I mean, he didn't replace Lisa, but he became the center of our attention. And especially as a father with his son, we just devoted ourselves to him. 
Well, then when he was two and a half, these other two children come. And two weeks later, Josh was born. And not understanding the psychological trauma that they went through, he went through a period where he would bite and attack Christopher. And probably the only sane one in the group was Joshua because he was born in as a little one. And, uh, you know, he acclimated just to they're all brothers and sisters. Mm. So he was probably the one that was free of that trauma. But Melinda was able to work through hers. Mm. Chris never really acclimated well. Uh, he had a very hard time. We knew that. I wanted to get him, you know, some professional counseling. And when I approached that, he said, no. He said, you're my dad. He said, I want to do that. But it would have benefited him had he have done that. And so it's interesting that as we followed our children as they grew and now they're adults themselves, we see the trauma that they went through and the effects of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, was, it was pretty obvious. So at the point, we didn't realize what they were dealing with. And back then, there wasn't the counseling like you have now. You know, if you lose a child, you go to grief counseling. There wasn't that for us. When we got the children, there wasn't counseling to put them in, where there is all that now. And that is the one thing I would recommend highly to families, blended families. If you start to see the trauma in your children, whatever it may be, or acting out, get them with a good child psychologist. I mean, really help them through that because they keep things in their little minds that we don't even know they do. I'll use an example with Melinda. She wanted the truth about her dad. She just thought he was sick and went to the hospital. So we had to tell her, and that's pretty hard, a five-year-old to tell them, your dad's never coming back. With Linda, she had been abducted but her body was never found. So we, we couldn't say she was gone, but there was always that hope with Melinda. And it was about it was about six months to a year in, and I'd put them all to bed and everything, and this one night I could hear her crying. So I went in her room, honey, what's wrong? Nothing, and she wouldn't tell me. So I'd pray with her, she'd go back to bed. Next night, same thing. Next night, same thing. And so on the, the third night, I just refused to leave. I just said, there's something wrong. It broke my heart. You know, here she is by that time, six years old. And she goes, what did I do wrong that my mommy won't come back? You know, you just have to address that. I said, you did nothing wrong. And she goes, is she cold? Is she sick? And in the meantime, God had already shown me that Linda was already with him. So I just approached the subject honestly and shared that with her. I said, your mom and dad were both Christians, and I believe your mom and dad are up in heaven together, and God's watching over them and taking care of them. And that settled it for her. So be honest. Be as honest as you can for their age when they're going through that. Because I didn't know that was all on her mind. And so when they approach you with questions, just be as honest as you can with them. So you guys raised your kids in a blended family, but then also as they became adults, you have two of your kids that have blended families and grandkids that are coming from blended families. And you've also done a lot of counseling with people in blended families. So Chuck, I know you've done a lot of research and studying on this. Tell us some of the background about blended families that you've learned about. Well, I think one thing, probably the most grievous error is that when 
two people meet and they have come from separate families, divorce, and they marry. They underestimate the need to acclimate the children into what's happening. And so there, there isn't, there, there, first there's an underestimation of the trauma that children go through in that situation. They're changing from one environment where their natural parents split and they're going through that trauma. And depending on the time that goes by, they're either reacclimating just to being with mom or reacclimating with being with dad. And then all of a sudden, another person comes into the picture. They, quote, fall in love and decide to get married. And there are two or three children on either side or maybe one child and two children. But you're blending together. It is a forced trauma upon the children. And I've had friends that are in this situation that have been dating, but they don't want to introduce that person to their kids until they know it's something permanent. And by that point, it's kind of like the kids are like, oh, by the way, we're getting married and they met them two weeks ago. Yeah. Two yeah. weeks ago. Be trying to protect them instead of like, if this doesn't work out, I don't want to bring another person in and another person in. I think part of the problem too is in that situation that the two parents who are coming together aren't discerning in a way that recognizes they need to have a process of acclimating their children into this because the natural biological child is going to gyrate or be drawn to that parent and the same way with the other parent. Because of a lack of communication and expectations of what that's going to look like when they come together, again, it depends age appropriately how old are the children and how much do you communicate with them. But there has to be a transitional communication that leads to, in a sense, you want to bring security to them as best you can in the midst of trauma. Yeah. And I think it is probably a very high percentage of the time it's not even addressed until after the two people marry, remarry, bring the family together, and all of a sudden there's chaos. And in reality, statistically, the, those marriages that don't make it don't make it because of the children and the inability to acclimate them relationally and to value them and communicate with them mm-hmm. so that they feel a part of this new environment. And realistically, building relationships take time. Let's say that child is six or seven years old and the other child with the other spouse is eight or ten. They've had ten years to bond to them and bond to a particular culture. And now if that culture changes, which it does because it's a new culture and the expectations aren't spelled out, children are left behind Mm -hmm. and they struggle and so forth. I think also in blending the families like that, it's very important for the couples that are dating and going to get married. The expectations really have to be spelled out clearly before you really commit to a marriage. If you're not on the same page, and that means with how you raise your children, I mean, he may raise his totally different than the way you raised yours. You have to communicate that ahead of time. You have to be on the same page. If the husband and wife aren't on the same page, we all know it just in regular families, the children are going to divide and conquer. That's just what kids do. And so you have to be on the same page. How do you discipline? How are you going to interact with the exes? How are you going to handle all that? And the main thing is, put the children first. Your feelings about your ex-spouse, you've got to rise above it. You're the adult here. And so that parent isn't replacing their father or their mother, but it is someone that's going to be more prominent in their life, maybe if the dad is only getting them every other week and this man's with them 24-7. There's okay to build that relationship with him, but don't forget encourage the relationship with their biological parent. 
Well, and one of the issues that exists is that if the two people who divorced and their children are entering into a blended family, then it makes for a conflictual atmosphere. And this is probably the, the rule and not the exception, especially when the relationship between the two divorcees is not healthy and gives priority to the children. What happens is the children become a pawn, and let's say it's a negative situation, the child goes back to be with the dad once a week or whatever, and the dad is totally opposed to this situation, mm -hmm. still has anger and issues he's not dealt with in terms of his wife, and that then, just through the atmosphere that they live in, that is imparted to them, and it makes for issues. Also going back and <clears throat> between households that aren't run the same and exactly. operate differently. Yes. So they, they have to have two different... In that case, you know, and I've seen this happen, but this is because it's a healthy situation. Nine times out of ten, maybe it isn't healthy when they split. But it's sitting down all together as parents and making the best decision for those children, trying to relate to one another. This is how we do it in our home. Can we some way combine how we're going to discipline, what we're going to do, bring this together, keep that communication line. It doesn't always happen. We've seen it in our own family. But the best thing for the children <clears throat> is if the four of you can sit down and say, this is how we want to minister to our children. This is how we want to raise our children. Yeah, and there actually could even be six of you yes. if sure. both sides yes. get divorced and get remarried. And so it's, well, you think it's hard just figuring out with your own one person. Yes. Try having six. Well, and one of the biggest mistakes that's made coming into a blended marriage that way is defining, in my stance, is that the natural parent is the one that needs to discipline their children and vice versa. The one exception to that is if, let's say, for example, these are maybe teenage children. The teenager is being disrespectful. It's, that's their natural mother is being disrespectful. That's where the father needs to step in and say, that's my wife. In our house, I will not allow that to take place. And, and that's a challenge. But defining that if it's my child and I will discipline them, and if you can do that in conjunction with the other parent, it's so much better. But again, that's an optimum situation, and it doesn't always happen that way. In fact, most times it does not. The one area I, I will address, and this doesn't always work out for all families, but I know in our families, with the divorce situations and bringing extra children in, and then maybe that ex-daughter-in-law marrying again and having more children, Chuck and I's stance were, as far as grandchildren, they're all ours. Not everybody can look at it that way, and I totally understand. But I think it's better for the children. Yeah. You know, at Christmas time, I don't <clears throat> buy just for my biological grandchildren. I buy for all 17. Mm -hmm. They all get the same amount. They all get the same thing. That's good. Because I want them to know that they're all loved and mm -hmm. they're all cared for. And I also know with ex, ours happens to be two ex-daughter-in-laws. I know there can be son-in-laws, but ours is two ex-daughter-in-laws. It's not that your relationship might be the same afterwards, but how I've always looked at this, and bless Ella Mae Kimple, this comes straight from her, mm. those women gave me some of the most precious gifts in my life I'll ever have, my grandchildren. And for nothing else, they should be honored. It doesn't mean that they're with us on holidays. It doesn't mean anything like that. But that means even though the situation that happened especially in the one was very bad, 
I mean, it's not like I call and I talk to them or anything, but if I'm in the same room, they're respected. And I think if you look at that, that they gave you those precious gifts, it helps you overcome all the other. But that's just me, how I look at things. So as we've blended all these children together, they're all cousins. That's how they look at each other. And they're all ours. And that's just how we've handled it. Not everybody can handle it that way. And I understand. I love that, though, because there is something that's really, really painful and detrimental to relationships when people know and feel favoritism. And so when you're dealing with especially small children who can't even express that they're feeling that, yes, mm-hmm. they know. We all know when someone likes someone better than yes. someone else. I mean, you want to talk about easily exploding exactly. And little family. Very it's, good example right. of that. When this all happened in our family, and we we had the two boys, and then we got Chris and Melinda. And to the, us, they've always been ours. They're our children. My mom didn't see it that way. She saw that she had two grandchildren. Oh, not four grandchildren. And so when my mom, like say Columbiana Street Fair would come up, Sandy and you know her family lived just down the road from us and they had two boys. Now $20 wouldn't go far today, but back then it did. Mom would give Sandy $20 so she could give Brandon and Aaron 10 each to go to the street fair. And she'd hand me 20, which was fine. My kids were going to get $5 each. And I said that, I said, look, grandma gave you $5 each. And my mom really was very upset. She said, no, I gave that to Adam and Josh. And I said, sorry, mom, I have four children, not two. And she did not accept that for a while. She was very upset with me. But I had to make that stance in front of the children. They were mine. They were all mine. If you gave $20, they each got five. That's just the way it was. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people do have a really hard time with that. But I think it's like you say, Kate, it's very important for the children to know that they're all equally important. We went on a vacation. We didn't take two. (laughs) We took all four of our children. You don't separate that. And I think, again, with blended families, one of the greatest challenges is, is to value the children. And for them to know, it is it's natural for the the child to uh, be drawn to their biological parent. That's going to happen. It's natural because it's just a natural bonding, and depending on the age and so forth. But for the let's say the other parent to value and to set an atmosphere where the children are all loved and accepted and valued, it's tremendously important. Children are very smart. They sense, like you said, yes, Kate. They, they sense where there's an inequity with someone. On the other side of it, children are very loving and forgiving whenever they're in an environment. And I I think one of the challenges is that it takes time to build relationships. And if you allow for that to happen naturally, you can't force that, you know, because this new man has come into your life. Now he's your stepdad and you need to do whatever, honor him and blah, blah, blah. What's the hours? There's a certain number of hours before a relationship. 200 hours. Something like that. There's like... It takes at least 200 hours to build a relationship that's connected, not just like, hey, how you doing? Figure how many weeks of full-time, 40-hour weeks. It's a lot of hours. So the point is this. Think about it then. So statistically, I think that parents, normal parents, spend about five minutes or less a day with their children. 
And that's egregious. You think about it. And so it takes, that's why you can't force that. It takes time. And if, let's say again, the other spouse is loving and accepting, even in normal families, the challenge is when you say you have three or four children, how do you spend individual time with them? And that is a, that's a really a golden gateway into their heart. Looking at it when they are open to your input or open to conversation or open to communication. And some, like my, our Adam, 11 o'clock at night was his time. He would come and run in bed and jump in bed and want to talk to us at 11 o'clock at night. And this was when he was a teenager, not little. <laughs> Even after he was in the military, there were a couple times he came home on leave, wasn't married yet, and came in and jumped in bed and wanted to talk. And so that time, individual time with children is a golden way. And it takes time. It doesn't, mm-hmm. like you said, it takes love, consistency, and forgiveness to, to work through that and to, to blend and to bond. One thing I did, and I didn't do this for a year or something, else, I just did it for like a month or something like that. But I think it's important, especially a blended family, is, you know, whichever parent is, to spend time individually with all the children, you know, so that you build that rapport with the other children that's come in. Get to know them, get to know what they like. And I remember hearing someone share that a long time ago, and I thought, well, I'm going to do that with the kids. And so what I did was they would come home from school, and each day the kids had a day, and they had one hour of my time. They could do whatever they wanted. Undivided. And so, like, with Melinda, she would want to go up to our bedroom and lay on the bed and just talk. So for an hour, her and I would lay on the bed, and we would talk. Our Chris, he loved to cook. He still loves to cook. And so what I would do on his day, I'd have the ingredients ready, whether it was supper or we're going to bake a dessert. He really liked desserts, to (laughs) bake desserts. I'd have everything ready, and for that hour, kids all had to go somewhere else. We had the kitchen, and that was our time together. Adams was always sports related, and I'm no good at that, but he'd play basketball, and you know, I'd have to be out there trying to do rebounding. So, yeah, <laughs> rebounding was about it. And Josh was little enough, he just wanted to play games. So I'd sit for an hour and play some games. And like I said, I did not do that. I'd love to say, oh, I did that all their lives. No, I didn't. <laughs> it was like a month I did that, but that built something. When Chris wanted to bake something, he comes, Mom, you want to bake something? Sure. Mom, you want to talk? Yeah. You know, you want to play basketball? Not so much, but I'll, I'll do whatever I can. And Josh, we always, our family has always been a big game family. We get together and play games. So I just throw that out there. That's one way to build that relationship. And, you know, spending individual time is something that a lot of parents don't do. You know, one thing that I did in, on our children's birthday, we had their birthday party like you always do, but on their birthday, they knew that they were going to go out with me to dinner. Hmm. Well, dinner started as McDonald's French fries and ended up at whatever, but they got to choose. Timberlanes. Yeah, Timberlanes. And so uh, they knew that I was going to take all four of them by themselves on their birthday. And it was just something we did, and they expected that. In fact, I'll share a funny story about Melinda and I's bonding. Melinda always had a terrible self-image, and she would speak that. And I would always, whenever she would speak that, I would correct that in a positive statement. Anyway, so she, when she turned 18, she said, Daddy, she said, I want to get dressed up and go to Timberlands. That's when Timberlands was mm-hmm. kind of the going place. And so we got dressed up and went up to dinner, and, and we ordered, and the waitress came over, and there was a question or something. She said something about your date. You know, what does your date want? <laughs> and we chuckled and laughed about that. You know, she chose the spot, and she wanted to dress up, and we did. And 
And we had a great time. Yeah. And, uh, and we build memories. And it takes, you have to strategize those things. You have to actually plan and do those That's things. That's good. Again, focusing on the children, focusing on their needs and what they need and how can you meet those needs. And and it's a challenge, again, for you know blended families, the opposite spouse, to, in a sense, ingrain his life into their life. It only be done through love and acceptance and valuing them and who they are. And if you can do that, why you can build a great new new family and a new history. So what are some key points that you recommend couples talk about? And you said communication is key. Can you highlight what those topics are they should be communicating about? Because when we did the podcast with Mel talking about communication, you know, the five levels, mm-hmm. you know, level one's nicety, level two is information sharing and she said there's so many couples that don't get past information sharing right. and there's when yes. you're raising kids and they're in <clears> activities <throat> there that's a lot of information <laughs> to be sharing what are some things that they should be sitting down talking about well probably the greatest thing would be defining how they're going to discipline their children basically you know as we mentioned the, the natural parent should discipline that child and if possible and this makes it so much better if you can, and it's optimum, and that's bringing the the parent who is not in the family, the, bring that person into it so that, one, the children know, two, the parents know. If it's my child, then it's my responsibility to discipline that child. I can be a part of that. I can have input, but it's, it's the natural parent's responsibility. Do you think they have to discipline the same? If the mom has one way that she's been disciplining her child and the new dad has a different way, do they have to come to terms like, no, we're going to do it differently or the same? Or can they continue to do it how they've been doing it? No, absolutely. There needs to be equal values so that they're doing the same way. Because what will happen is if it's not done the same way and one parent's easier on their child than the other parent is, it sets up a a natural opposition Mm -hmm. between those two siblings. Probably should sit down and say, hey, I know you used to get away with everything, but that's changing. Or, hey, I know I've been really hard on you. (laughs) Having that conversation with the kids, like we're setting up a new system and letting them know what it is so they Mm -hmm. have... Always bring the children. Of- yes, always bring the children into it. And the main thing, as we've said before, the two parents have to be united. They have to be in agreement, and they need to do that before they're ever married. Like you said, the talking, getting to know each other. Lay that all out beforehand. And if you're not on the same page, you might need to reevaluate where your relationship is because you've got to think of your children, how they're going to react to this, and, and then age appropriately, you know, with the children. If they're, Especially a lot of times they're a little older when that might happen. Sit down with them. Children respect being informed, mm-hmm. being talked to, letting them know what it's going to be. I know when we even changed the discipline in our home after hearing Larry Tom's hack, <laughs> we read that and realized we needed to do some things differently. The first thing we did was bring our children into it and say, this is how we're going to discipline. 
So they they knew ahead of time. There was no confusion. This is what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think, too, if you will spell out the result of consequences, if you realize that if you do this, then this is going to be the response. This is going to be the discipline. And so I never used the word punishment with my children. New Testament never uses the word punishment with God's children. And so it wasn't punishment. It was the, the long goal of bringing them to a place of responsibility. And so we advocate for younger parents to, if there are issues, make a list of what the issue is and the consequence and what you want to do. And, and, and I think this is, again, where you can be creative. I always tried to be creative with discipline. I actually at times brought, if there was an issue and we were correcting, I asked the child, I said, what should your discipline be? And I let them choose their discipline. And inevitably, they were harder on themselves than what I would have been. It brings them into the conversation. You know, my goal in parenting was, one, was to choose our battles wisely. Mm-hmm. You know, with my boys, we said, you could do whatever you want with your hair. I don't care. As long as it's clean and neat. It's your hair. It's okay. We're not going to make that a confrontation. There's enough confrontation issues. But mm-hmm. So choose your battles wisely Good. and communicate with your children. If you do this, X is going to happen. And, and we even encourage them to write out a list and put it there. You know, and what you're doing is you're allowing the child to decide if is they're willing. It? Yeah, right. Is it, exactly. Is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to do this, not make my bed on Saturday morning when I'm supposed to, or clean my room and lose my iPad for a week? You know, and so it really puts it on them and brings them into really the solution. And the key then as a parent is stick to your guns. If you said this is the consequence for that, don't let it slide. Because there again, they've got you. Whatever you and your spouse sets down, the discipline for whatever action it is, make sure that you stick to that and carry it through. Some of this on parenting is not just for blended families. This is for all families. It's across the board. Husbands and wives, be on the same page. Be united. Be a team. And stick together. The other the other thing we always did with all of our children is if there had to be something dealt with, we really didn't do it in front of the, the child. Chuck and I would go, we'll be back. And we'd go upstairs to our bedroom and we discuss between us what the punishment should be for that. And so when we went down, it wasn't like if Chuck said, you're going to be grounded for two weeks. And I'm sitting there thinking, two weeks, I'm going to have, you know, Chuck will be at work and I'm going to have for two weeks, you know. And me in front of the child go, Chuck, that's, that's too harsh. It should only be a week. Well, then they know you're in conflict or that. So present that united front going to them. This is the way we're going to do it. And this is the way it's going to be. How do you counsel couples who have a really hard time coming to an agreement? That's a challenge in the sense that we have to have a servant's heart. Lynn and I are probably a good example in that when we first were young parents, I was the cop and she was the nurse. I'd want to give him a life sentence for a parking ticket. And so we would come together. We'd find a balance. And it worked. Again, the neat thing is, again, whether it's blended family or natural family, we're together in that. You can't divide us. And in a blended family, that's what happens. The natural child with that parent, they're drawn to that person, and they play on their emotions and their feelings and try and separate them from the other spouse. And it's, it's really a, a minefield that 
So you guys were at opposite ends. Did you both have to find yourself more towards the middle? Sure. And I think the key was, you know, between a husband and wife, Chuck respected my input. It wasn't like we went up to the bedroom and I go, really, that was pretty harsh. And he'd go, too bad. It wasn't that. So I encouraged each of the husband and wife to listen to one another. It's okay to defer to one another. You know, if it's the husband that's the more legalistic one as far as this is what's going to happen, listen to your wife. Bring that balance in. It's better for the children, too. Relationships don't work if it's it's my way or the highway. Exactly. And right. much, much less do they work if you're in a family. That's right. Or, or a blended family, and it's my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. And I think we forget in disciplining our children, the goal is ultimately to bring them to a place of accountability and responsibility as young adults because they're eventually going to leave. One thing that I always did with the children was if there was an issue that day, we dealt with it. And I always tucked them in, and we had devotions and so forth. But I let them know that unless there was restitution they had to make, like broken windows from baseballs and that sort of thing, (laughs) they had to do that to be responsible. But they knew I went to them, and they knew that that day's events was over. And we loved them. We forget that the Lord disciplines us. Mm -hmm. And it says in Hebrews very clearly that that discipline is not fun. But it brings about the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And that's the goal. You know, my goal as a parent always was first to train our our children. Secondly, as best we could to disciple them. But ultimately, I wanted to be friends with them. Now, I couldn't do that in the confrontational years of teenaging and that sort of thing. I had to be a parent. But the ultimate goal was I wanted to maintain friendship. We've had things like any family, even recently. There was a year ago where I had a situation with one of our children. You know, it was just something that got inflamed, got out of control, and our one this child responded very negatively and cut off communication. And I would not stop calling him and texting him. Finally, he picked up the phone, you know, and we talked through it. But I, my relationship with him was more important than the issue. And we worked through that, you know, and it wasn't fun, but it's my child. I'm not giving up on them. And with relationships, sometimes we get offended and we give up. Yes. Even, I mean, it's terrible at any time, but especially when it's a family member, a parent to a child or a sibling to a sibling, and and then they grow apart and never breach the gap and becomes a a terrible, sad commentary, you know, unwillingness to, to work at relationship. It can be hard, but share with us some hope that you have seen in blended families. You know, God has a lot of love and compassion and grace and mercy and redemption for Mm -hmm. people. And if people are out there listening right now feeling like, oh, my gosh, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. Where's the hope on the other end of that feeling like? I think the hope is of persevering. One, it begins with our heart. I could have given up on the situation we went through, you know, and it was very grievous. Could have gotten very bad. But... I wasn't giving up. We can't give up. There's a cost. And, you know, we need to think in terms, long term. You know, what are we doing and where are we heading? And can we build something of strength that will withstand that? And that's what happened when we were able to withstand that. And that's the issue. Who's going to take the first step? Who's going to be the servant? You know, I love to serve my children even now and, uh, and show them that example and go above and beyond. It's really a joy to watch my children parent now. And I don't necessarily agree with some of the things they do, but that's okay. I'm not the parent. 
you know, <laughs> but they're doing a good job. I watch them with their children. I'll give an example. Uh, my Adam with Colton, Colton went through some things when he was younger, three, four, and five. And I, I said to Adam, I said, Adam, you need to deal with that. And he goes, don't worry, Dad. He said, I'm going to take care of it when it's time. And sure enough, when he aged appropriately, you know, he had wisdom and he dealt with it. And the fruit of that I see, he and Colton's relationship is amazing, mm-hmm. especially with what Colton's gone through. And, and so he, he did his job as a, as a parent and didn't need my help at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, it, it is a sacrifice. But, you know, again, we think in terms of eternality. Things that we do, relationships, they're eternal. And to let an offense separate and to break relationship between a parent and child for the rest of their lives is grievous. Mm. And it's sad. Well, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We could talk all day long. And mm-hmm. I know we, my alarm's going to go off pretty soon because <laughs> Chuck's got an appointment. But Chuck and Lynn are going to be presenting a workshop at the Thrive Women's Conference in October 21st and 22nd. Oh, I'm so excited. On blended families. So, so well, the women out there that are listening, you can sign up and come to their workshop and they'll have some more tools. But real quick before we go, what are some resources or what are some suggestions that you guys have for couples who are struggling in their blended family? Well, a couple resources I would recommend. One is blended families. Uh, Creating Harmony as You Build a New Home Life. That's by Maxine uh, Marcellini. And the other one is by Gary Chapman, who did the five love languages, Mm -hmm. uh, building uh, love together in a blended family. Mm -hmm. And he uses the definition of and defining the love languages in a way to minister to a stepchild. And the other thing is gather some friends who will support you. Let them be a part of your circle to help. When we were struggling with our marriage, Russ and Shirley poured into our marriage and that was a period when we were dealing with that issue of Lynn actually came to me one time early in the process and said, Chuck, it's either me or the children. And as a husband, as a father, what do I say to that? She'd have to answer how tactfully I did that if it even was tactful. But He's, He said, I have to choose the children. And there was like a spear went right through my heart. And so, you know, at that moment, I had to make a decision. And with God in your life, and I'm glad I made the decision I did, but it wouldn't have been really easy, but I could have walked away and took two with me, or I could stay there and make this work, and I chose to make it work. And I think when you even said about the hope, the hope is that as you pour in and as you minister to one another and to your family, it's the joy of the Lord. No matter how hard the situation is, you have a choice either to rise above where you're at and bring that joy into your home and let the Lord lead you to where he wants you to go. Let me just end with a funny little story. I remember once when the kids were younger, I said to Lynn, you know, we were just being a little facetious. I said, look, if we get a divorce... I want the kids. And she looked at me. She said, if we get a divorce, you can have them. (laughs) (laughs) And we were just being, you know, lighthearted. But (laughs) I told Josh that one time when he was an adult, and he goes, real nice, Mom. Real nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we really enjoyed having you guys on today. If you're out there listening and feeling like, oh, 
this is harder than I thought it was going to be. There is hope. Absolutely, and, yes. You know, it takes a lot of work, yes. and it could take counseling or inner healing or lots of sit-down, communicate family meetings, but it can get better, and it's worth it. It's worth it. It's good. Amen. It is absolutely worth it. So thanks for coming. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.